0: Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We are podcasting a Bible class every Sunday morning, posted at 930 local time, for those who are not able to be with us at the building, the Sunny Slope Church of Christ church building, at that same time, every Sunday morning. We know there are people in the Omaha area who are not able to get out much, if at all, but who would like to still be in a Bible study. And so we're trying to make that possible for them by podcasting these Bible studies every Sunday morning. We also do this on Wednesday evening, posted at 6.30 local time. But we also know that there are people who they're not, maybe not connected with any church, or maybe they, they want to be, But they're listening in other parts of the country or literally around the world. But they want to get into God's Word. They want to be students of God's Word. They want to learn. So we, again, want to take the opportunity, and we we take the ability to do this as a responsibility. And so we want to do this right. So through the medium of the Internet and by means of these podcasts, we, every day of every week, teach God's Word in one form or another. On Sunday mornings, we, we podcast a Sunday morning Bible class. But we also then podcast all of our sermons and all of our Wednesday night Bible studies. But we also, we podcast a daily radio program, Monday through Friday, called Search the Scriptures. And they short about a 13-minute Bible class every day seven days a week called Today's Bible Class. All of these are available through our podcasting. You can go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, click on the podcast button, and you can sign up for our podcasting. It is free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help people, as many people as we can, get to heaven by making available to them an easy way to be able to study God's Word with us. When somebody does sign up for our podcasting, they will receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, our Monday through Friday daily radio program, Search the Scriptures, and today's Bible class, seven days a week, a short, about a 13-minute Bible study every day. They'll also have access to download and listen to hundreds of sermons and also to download and read through and study through hundreds of scripturally-based and spiritually-focused articles. Again, all of that study, Bible study resource material is right there available at at churchofchrist.com, and all of those active Bible studies will go directly to the smart device of the person who signs up for our podcasting whichever smart device they choose. It'll be automatic, and again, always free. So when you listen to these studies, please share that with everybody you can, because there are people who need to get into God's word, some people you know, undoubtedly. Share through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means, with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. You may help somebody turn their life around, You may help somebody get to heaven faith comes by hearing the word of god and so as you share these studies you can be helping somebody to grow in their faith so make that commitment today and start sharing with everybody you can every day we're going to finish up our study in the book of numbers today we have been going through these first four books of the old testament genesis exodus leviticus numbers and we'll start to move into Deuteronomy next time. But these five books, Deuteronomy being the fifth one, the first five books of the Old Testament are referred to as the Pentateuch. Well, pent for five, the Pentateuch. All of these written by primarily by Moses, and they start with the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, then they go through the early the early history of mankind, and then with Genesis chapter 12, they pick up with Abraham, and God chooses Abraham to be the forefather through whose bloodline he would bring Israel, the nation of Israel, into being, and ultimately through the nation of Israel's bloodline, he would send his son as the savior of mankind into the world. So an important study and a very rich study indeed. Now as we've come through Leviticus and Numbers I have skipped over certain parts of the text which are more technical, more detailed and 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 something that really does not going to be as as apt to hold your attention as a Bible student and I've left those for you to read on your own such as what articles go into the tabernacle, what uh, what is the makeup of the tabernacle, what kind of materials are used, and, you know, what are the different laws that God gave to Moses through that Old Testament law, you know, laws of sacrifice and the laws of, of uh, illness and so on. It, it, you know, those are important, but again, they just don't make for a really good Interest holding Bible class. So I've left those for you to read, and I've done a little bit of skipping here and there. And we'll do some as we come to the end of this particular book. But first, we're going to pick up with chapter 33 and verse 50. Now, the setting again is the nation of Israel. I say the nation, they are a people, and they're on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, ready to cross that river go into the promised land, the land of Canaan, that land that God had promised to them through their forefathers dating all the way back to Abraham hundreds and hundreds of years before, literally. And so God is ready to lead them across the Jordan River into that land, and he would lead them into battles against the inhabitants of that land. He might say, well, why would God drive out those inhabitants? Why would he he cause the Israelites to go to war with all those different peoples? Well, because, number one, he had promised that land to the Israelites. Number two, the people who lived in those lands did not believe in God. If they had some knowledge of God, it was subservient to their belief in various idols that they worshipped. And an idol is nothing. And so God was going to dispossess them of their land. And in fact, he instructs the Israelites, you defeat them in battle or else you drive them out, but don't have any dealings with them because if you develop relationships that are rather close with them, that gives them the opportunity to lead you away from me and to start worshiping their idols. And with idolatry, now some people might say, well, what's the big deal? You know, at least they're worshiping. It's just their religious belief. With idolatry, almost automatically went all kinds of immorality. Because again, you see, an idol is nothing. It's just a piece of material. There is nothing that even relates to deity within it. It's just an object. And... God is the creator. God is the only God. So we come toward the end of the book of Numbers. We pick up with verse 50 in Numbers chapter 33, and here are instructions for the conquest of Canaan. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all their high places." Now, what is he talking about there? God is telling Moses, You tell the people this is what I want them to do. When they cross over the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, They are to drive out all the inhabitants of the land, and they are to destroy all their engraved stones. What are those? Well, they would be objects of worship. Now, when you start bowing down before a stone, before a rock, or before a carving, or before some kind of fashioned image out of some metal, you need to stop and ask yourself, what in the world am I doing? Why am I doing this? There are other texts in the scriptures that talk about how those idol worshipers would cut down a tree, and they would cut off all the branches, and then they would carve images into that tree, and then they would prop it up on some kind of support system, and then they would drop down on their knees and worship it. Now, does that sound absurd? You have created that that idol? You fashioned it out of your own design, and now you're going to worship it as a god, lowercase g? That makes no sense whatsoever. And we could say superstition. God is God. God is the creator. The first commandment of the 10 says, you shall have no other gods before me, and so God tells the Israelites through Moses, you drive them out, you destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, again, their idols, and demolish all their high places. Now, what's a high place? How do we, how do we understand the significance of a high place? Well, the high places would be areas that were built that they would erect these images, these idols on, that would be up on maybe a hillside or a cliff or a mountainside. And the idea, I think, was to get it closer to the supposed deity, you know, up in the sky someplace. And so those were false places of worship, They're not authorized by God. And and the fact that they put these idols on them just demonstrated that they were in rebellion against God. And so God says, you destroy all those places, demolish all their high places, you know, destroy all all their engraved stones and destroy all their molded images. He goes on in verse 53 and he says, you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it for I have given you the land to possess. So you're going to dispossess those people who are living there. Drive them out. Defeat them in battle. Drive them out. And you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger, you shall give a larger inheritance. And to the smaller, you shall give a smaller inheritance. There, everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. So here's how you're going to divide the land. You're going to make it fair. The ones who have bigger families, they'll get more of a holding. The ones who have smaller families, a smaller holding, and so on. And then in verse 55, but if, now that word if is a big word. I know it's only two letters long, but by sense and meaning and implication, it is a huge word. So, if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your side, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Now, this was a warning. Obey my words. Heed my instructions. Follow through. If you do not drive out the inhabitants, they're going to cause you problems down the road. And it's rather, you know, graphic, illustrative illustrations that he's using when he says, they shall be irritants in your eyes. Well, we don't like to get anything in our eyes, do we? Boy, that that can drive us crazy, and it can affect our vision. It, it just, you know, it we just got to get rid of it. It's there. We can't stand to leave it there, whatever it is, maybe a speck of dust or maybe a little trace of a piece of a rock or a wood filing or something, or maybe even just hair from our eyelashes. We, we get that. We, we just got to get it out because it, it's an irritant, and it's an effective irritant, and there should be thorns in your sides. Well, we don't like to somehow walk past a rose bush or some kind of thorn bush, a little thorn breaks off, it sticks through our outer clothing, and it keeps rubbing against our skin under our clothing, and it, it's an irritant. It, it Again, we've got to get rid of it. We've got to find it, get it out of there. They shall harass you in the land where you dwell. And he's saying that don't think you can leave some of them there. Some of those inhabitants that are there, don't think you can leave them there, and they're not going to cause you problems. They're going to cause you problems. Down the road, they may multiply, and they may become a threat to you militarily. But they're going to cause you problems. In verse 56, he goes on and says, moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. I... I told you to drive them out. If they start to lead you into their way of thinking and their, their superstitious religious beliefs, then I'm going to punish you as I had, had intended to punish them. Now, here's a lesson that God lays out for them. We need to understand that in principle, that is a lesson for us too. When we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6… 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the apostle Paul writes along this very line about how we need to be careful with our associations with people around us. He says, beginning in chapter 6, beginning with verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He's writing this to Christians, and he says, you need to be careful about the relationships you develop especially with people who are not Christians, who are unbelievers, who are not walking with God in faithful obedience. What communion has light with darkness? You're talking about people who are living sinful lifestyles. What communion, what relationship should you have with such people? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And then he goes on and says, "'For you are the temple of the living God.'" I will, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So we need to be careful about the kinds of relationships we develop with other people. And so God is giving the Israelites that instruction and warning before they ever cross the Jordan River and start the conquest of the land. He says, when you get across that river, you start driving them out. Don't make any peace treaties with them. Don't go into any kind of business relationships with them. And for sure, do not give your daughters to them to marry or take your, their daughters to your sons to marry. Because in that most intimate of all human relationships, they will surely have the opportunity to pull you away from me, to pull you into their idolatry, their unfaithfulness, their ungodliness. So strong, grave warnings. If we flipped forward, and as we go through the book of Deuteronomy, well, not quite through the book of Deuteronomy, but if we, if we get into Joshua and Judges, we'll find out that the israelites almost obeyed god along this line fully but they held back a little bit maybe they got tired of do, of fighting the battles whatever the reason they basically took the land the promised land the land of canaan they did kill through battle huge percentage of the of the people living there they drove out a whole lot of those who were not killed in battle but, and, and they basically put the land under subjection to them. They were the dominant force within the land, but they left some of the people there. And those people caused them problems later on and influenced some of the Israelites to turn away from full dedication to God. God always knows what he's talking about. He's a whole lot smarter and a whole lot wiser than we are. We need to pay heed to what he says. And he talks to us through his word. Through his word. So we need to be good Bible students. Well, we're going to flip forward here to chapter 35. And here, there's some information that I just want to share with you rather briefly about some of the cities that God lays out. And I said, you know, when he. Talk to the what we read earlier about what he talked about, how the the uh, country was to be divided and how it was going to be a fair apportionment to the different families and so on. In in verse 35, he lays out instructions for cities that are to be given to the Levites. Now, this was the priestly tribe, the tribe through through whom or from whom the priests would descend, and the high priest would come. Well, Beginning with verse one in chapter thirty-five, and the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho. So they're still on the eastern bank; they've not yet crossed into the land. God's still giving instructions to the people, to the Israelites, through Moses, and so He tells Moses, "Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to dwell in, in dwell in from their inheritance." Uh, from the inheritance of their possession, and you shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. So he's providing for the people of the priestly tribe. They shall, now they're going to take care of the tabernacle. Later on, when the temple is built, they're going to take care of the temple. They're going to be overseers, basically, of the worship of the Israelites. They shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. See, they're still going to have to make a living, basically, take care of themselves. The common land of the cities of which, uh, or which you will give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. And you shall measure outside the city on the east side, 2,000 cubits, on the south side, 2,000 cubits, on the west side, 2,000 cubits, and on the north side, 2,000 cubits. The, sh- the, the city shall be in the middle. This shall belong to them as common land for the cities. Now, God gives very specific instructions. He wants these people to be taken care of. Now, I'm going to drop down to verse 9, and he's, he lays out some instructions as to what are called cities of refuge. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. Now, what was the law? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But sometimes there are accidents that happen. Sometimes deaths occur at the hands of somebody else accidentally. Well, we know about car crashes, don't we? We know sometimes about somebody who might accidentally cause something to happen that results in the taking of the life of another person. Now, should they be put to death because they did that unintentionally? They caused something to happen? Maybe it was even, to a great extent, out of their control, but it was somewhat at their hands. So God is is making He's he's making some he's giving some instructions to make a way for this to be decided uh, in such a way that that justice should be done and it should not just be an automatic taking the life for a life in these cases where it was not really the intent or the aim of the person who might have been the cause of somebody to lose their life. So you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall, they shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger. The avenger would be somewhat of the bloodline of the person who had been killed or had died. That the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. In other words, he needs to go through a hearing, a legal hearing, and a responsible and a spiritually designed hearing so that it's not just an automatic, well, yeah, you you know, your ox cart ran over my brother. You lost control. Your oxen ran away, and my brother ended up get, being in the way, and he got run over and killed. So I'm going to take your life because he was my brother. Well, God's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. There, there, needs to be, there needs to be a way for that person to be spared if it was really not his intention, if it was really purely accidental that he could be spared from losing his life in retribution for the life of the one that might have lost his life by his accident. So, and of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge, you shall appoint the three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which shall be cities of refuge. These six cities, these six cities, shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that if anyone kills a person accidentally, he may flee there. And if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. If he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer, and the murderer shall surely be put to death. So God is not saying murder should be excused. But if he says, if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. Take his life, in other words. If he pushes him out of hatred or, with, or while lying in wait hurls something at him so that he dies, or an enmity strikes him with his hand so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait... You know, he, he doesn't mean to be striking him in any way, or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him, so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking him har, his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So in other words, it's basically like a court system. He can stand before the congregation and have a fair hearing. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled, and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of the city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, He shall not be guilty of blood. And so there was a way that God devised and laid out that somebody who causes a death, we might call it manslaughter today. We might even call it second or third degree manslaughter. Maybe he just does something carelessly and somebody else gets in the way and they end up dying over it. Well, God says, let him flee to one of these cities of refuge. The avenger of blood, that is, someone from the bloodline of the one who died, cannot enter that city and hunt down that man and slay him, according to the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, frankly, I'm thankful that we don't live under that Old Testament law of Moses today, along that line. And that man can flee to the city of refuge, and he has sanctuary there until a Formal hearing is held and determines, did you do that on purpose? Was it your intent or was it an accident? And if they, if they decide, we understand, you did cause the man's death, but it was not intentional. It was an accident. You did not mean to do anything that could have caused that person to die. Well, they could, that person then could stay in the city of refuge until the high priest died. And then when the high priest died, I believe we can understand that he could leave. But if he left the city of refuge before the high priest died, then he was subject to the avenger of blood who might take his life if he thought, well, you still deserve to die. But as long as he stayed within the city of refuge, he was free. So it's important. Again, we would look at that today and say, well, you know, that sounds strange, Sounds strange. But it was basically a legal system that God laid out that to some extent our legal system mimics. You know, we'll say, okay, somebody, you know, somebody was driving drunk and ran into a car and the person in that car died. Well, okay, we don't accuse that person of murder necessarily, but we, May accuse him of manslaughter. And he goes before a judge and a jury, and he may end up in jail for a period of time. But he's not executed, doesn't go to death row. And so you can see some similarities there. Well, this brings us to the end of our study of Numbers. And the next time we'll pick up with the book of Deuteronomy and move on from there. But again, very interesting, very rich history of first mankind in its early days of existence. And then from Abraham on, Genesis chapter 12 on, the history of the bloodline that would lead up to the development of the nation of Israel and then through their bloodline, the coming of the Savior into the world. I hope you're enjoying this study. I hope it's helping you get a better perspective on the Old Testament. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us enough to to give us your guidelines to live the best life that we can live. And thank you, Father, for your blessings and protections upon us. And we pray for those protections. We pray for those blessings, Father. We pray that you'll guide us to live the life that is in keeping with your will, communicated to us through your word. And we pray, Father, that you will help us to be an example, of your will and of your righteousness, of godliness, of Christianity to everybody around us to help them see the best way to live their life in this world with the greatest hope of eternal life with you in heaven. Please forgive us, gracious Father, and please do protect us from all kinds of harm and danger. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.